Well, we're well into the summer, and some of you uh, have been traveling and are back from vacation or about to go on vacation. And, you know, often one of the things I hear from people that go on vacation, they travel, is I need a vacation to rest from my vacation. You know, somebody said amen. Uh, you know, I remember going on trips with the family to, like, Disneyland or Disney World, and, you know, that's, like, a very hectic thing to do because... You want to get to the park before the lines get long and then you only have so many fast passes and, and you want to make sure that, that you cover all of these rides before you get to the next park. And, and, and so people keep you on a schedule. We got to eat at this time so we can be here at that time. And then uh, we got to finish this ride before the fireworks start at night. And then we got to beat the people out of the parking lot so we don't get caught in the, in the traffic jam. And it's like, you know, by the end of the day, you get to the hotel and you're like exhausted. And you think, well, vacation was supposed to be a rest, and I'm more tired here than I was back at home. I can't wait to get back to work so I can rest, you know. Uh, and, and, and that's okay. You know, sometimes vacation is about doing a different kind of activity. It's not about doing nothing, but it's about doing something that recreates you, something that recharges you, re-energizes you. So the idea of rest is not always being passive or inactive. The Bible talks to us about work and about rest. And, and, and work is a blessing from God. Uh, and rest is a blessing from God. And sometimes uh, we don't always understand all that the Bible says about rest. And so today we're going to talk about that. And uh, we're going to talk about a better rest. Uh, we'll continue in our series in the book of Hebrews uh, and we're looking at Jesus is better. We've talked about in previous Sundays about Jesus is better than angels. Jesus is better as a fully human, fully God uh, person. Jesus is better than Moses. We talked last week and today we're going to talk about Jesus offering us a better rest. And I'd like to invite you to go with me to our text, which is in Hebrews chapter 4. And we'll begin reading with verse 1, Hebrews 4. One, some of you uh, may already have the, um, the handout where you can follow the notes and think about your commitment and some of the discussion questions that you can use with your family or group later on. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1. The Bible says, Therefore, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you be found to have fallen short of it. For we also have had the good news proclaimed to us just as they did, but the message they heard was of no value to them because they did not share the faith of those who obeyed. Now we who have believed enter that rest just as God has said. So I declared on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And yet his works have been finished since the creation of the world. For somewhere he has spoken about the seventh day in these words, <clears throat> excuse me, on the seventh day, God rested from all his works. And again in the passage above, he says, they shall never enter my rest. The admonition to the Hebrew audience and to us is don't fall short of entering God's rest. Don't fall short of entering God's rest. What a vivid picture of, of, of this is the journey 
of the people of Israel from Exodus, from, from Egypt, and their Exodus from Egypt to, through the wilderness to the promised land. As we look at that vivid picture, as the writer of Hebrews considers that story of the people of God, we are reminded that God's salvation is an invitation to us to enter his rest. Have you entered his rest? Are you experiencing the rest of God in your life? If you are weary and tired, God has a word for you today. If you're a Christ follower, if you're a disciple of Jesus who is striving in your own strength, God has a word for you today. If you're discouraged and about to give up, I hope that you hear God speak to you today. Let's explore what this passage is saying. The first thing that I find here is that God's work is perfect. God's work is perfect. Uh, some time ago, I uh, discovered in our kitchen faucet that there was a small leak. And I, I do things around the house. I do things like change shower heads and I've installed ceiling fans and I fix things. And, and I like it when, when my wife, you know, is just impressed with my ability to fix things. And so I saw the kitchen uh, faucet leaking and I looked up at my reliable YouTube channel on how to fix it. And they fixed it like in two minutes. It's just a matter of unscrewing something, pulling out a cartridge, uh, putting the new cartridge in and then screwing back things back. And so my wife was in the kitchen cooking and doing things. And, and I went and I got my tools. I said, I'm going to fix this leak for her real quick. And I unscrewed the thing and I tried to get the cartridge out and, and it wouldn't come out. And, and I used a different kind of tool and it wouldn't come out. And I used to do, by this time, my wife was making trips to the restroom to wash the pots and pans because there was no water in the kitchen. She was real happy with me, as you can imagine. And, um, and, uh, and all of the tools that I had, I mean, I started using tools that you never should use on a faucet. Uh, and the cartridge wouldn't come out. I stripped the thing. And, uh, and I went to plumbing supply to get more tools and more parts. And my wife was just saying, look, just stop. Let's call a plumber. I said, no, I can fix this. And uh, amen. Thank you, Ray. And, um, and so this went on for a couple of days. And uh, I called my friends at the plumbing supply store and they gave me new tools and new tricks to, to do that. And, and I could never get it. And finally I gave up and we call a plumber. And he came and he had to replace the whole thing because I ruined the thing. Um, you know, I, I think about the fact that when you know what you're doing and you do it right, no one has to come after you to do it, do it again, right? When you do the best at something, then no one can add to it. And that's exactly the case with God. When God does something, he does it right the first time because he knows what he's doing. No one needs to come after him to fix anything, to add anything to it. We cannot improve on God's work. See, that's where our idea of rest needs to work is in knowing that God's work is perfect. He's the creator God. He's a liberator God. He's a redeeming God. And all of his work is perfect. The Bible reminds us here that God created the universe in six days. Each of those six days, he made something. <clears throat> and each of those days, it was good. Genesis 1, 3, and 4 says, And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. God saw that light was good. And he separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. 
There was evening and there was morning the first day. And so it went on each of the six days, God created something new. And when he created it, he said it was good. And it was evening and it was morning that following day. And then he got to the seventh day and the Bible tells us that on the seventh day, God rested from all his work. And on that seventh day, there was not morning and evening. On that seventh day, God rested and there's a sense in which the, the, the writer tells us that maybe God is still on the seventh day, that somehow the rest of God remains through today. Once the universe was created, God rested because his creation work was perfect. That doesn't mean that God is not active. It doesn't mean that God uh, does nothing. It simply mean it fit, means that he finished creation and he can rest from that because he was done right the first time. When the people of God were enslaved in Egypt, God heard their cry and he came to their rescue. 10 plagues, 10 mighty signs of God's power so that Pharaoh's hardened heart would eventually let God's people go. God showed his might. There was nothing that the Hebrew slaves did it wasn't their work. It wasn't their effort. It wasn't their skill. It was all God. And then the people of God came out and Pharaoh changed his mind and the people of God find themselves caught between the sea and the mountains and, and the Egyptian army behind them and God and no one else opens the sea and the people of God are able to cross the sea on dry land, and when the Egyptian army begins to pursue them in that divided sea, then God closes the sea and they perish. God delivers them completely. He doesn't have to go back and deliver them again because he did it right the first time. He is a God who delivers his people, and when humanity was enslaved by sin, God decided to come and rescue us he became human in the person of Jesus. He lived in our pain and our suffering. He lived among temptation like we do, but he was sinless. And he went to the cross. And at the cross, he, he died for us. He carried the sinfulness of humanity on his shoulders. He spread his arms to bridge the gap between a sinful humanity and a holy God. And as he was hanging on the cross, carrying out our work of redemption, saving us from sin and death, he said, it is finished. It is complete. It is perfect. There's nothing that no one else can add to his work of redemption, creation, and liberation from slavery, and redemption from sin and death is God's perfect work, completed, done, finished, and he rests. He lives in that rest of a completed, perfect work. And because God has performed perfect work, we can rest in that. We don't have to lead restless lives trying to help God, trying to add to what God has done already. God's work is a testimony. God's rest is a testimony of his perfect work. And it is an invitation for us to enter his rest. We continue to read the passage in verse six. It says, therefore, since it still remains for some to enter that rest, and since those who formerly had the good news proclaimed to them did not go in because of their disobedience, God again set a certain day 
calling it today. This he did when a long time later, he spoke through David as in the passage already quoted, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter that rest so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. Therefore, anytime you see that word in the Bible, therefore, it means because this is true, then you can do this. Because this is true, then you can act on this. Because this is true, then this is the implication to your life. Therefore, because God created everything perfect and because he rests, then you need to enter that rest. We are compelled to make every effort to enter his rest. And here's the thing. If we're being compelled to enter his rest, it means that not everybody gets to. It's not automatic. It, it, there's something, there's a step that we have to take to enter into his rest. So the, the second thing that I see here is that God's rest is prepared for us, for us to enter. God's rest is prepared. When uh, my daughter and my son-in-law moved from Lubbock to, uh, to the valley uh, earlier this year, they brought my wonderful grandson, Daniel, and uh, and immediately, Rachel, my daughter, instituted something called Friday Afternoons with Pops and Gigi, mostly with Pops. And, uh, you know, she asked me my schedule. I said, look, Friday mornings, I, I usually am finishing up my sermon, but I'm done by noon. And at noon on Fridays, I begin my Sabbath for about 24 hours from noon Friday to about uh, Saturday afternoon. It's, it's my day of rest. It's when I decide not to do any work. And so now my Sabbath begins with Daniel, Daniel and Pops. And, and so we, we do things together. We, we go to the museum, we go to the library, we go to splash pads. This picture here is we're going to South Padre and, and we do fun things together. And he enjoys that time. And the reason that Daniel and I enjoy hanging out together, and sometimes we bring Gigi along, um, uh, is because I love him. And he knows that I love him. And because he knows that I love him, he doesn't worry about anything. I mean, at the beach, he just runs to the water. If I'm there, he runs to the water. His parents are there. He, he, he doesn't worry about how much money I have in my wallet. Uh, because whatever we're going to do, I'll take care of it. He doesn't worry about whether we have enough food or not. Because there's always food around him and snacks that we're offering him. He doesn't worry about anything. Sometimes he's riding his little three-wheeler scooter down the sidewalk, and he just goes real fast, and I'm behind him, and he's just little feet are just going like, I call him a sandpiper. And, uh, and once in a while, he just looks back, and out of the corner of his eye, he knows that I'm still there, and he keeps going. He relaxes, he enjoys life because he knows that he's being cared for by someone who loves him. God loves us, and he has prepared a life for us. He has made the world for us. He has given us freedom. He has saved us from sin and death, and he has prepared a life of rest for us. He, see, the wonderful thing about God's salvation is that he saves us from something, 
but he also saves us for something. Christ came to, to deliver us from sin and death, but it didn't stop there. He delivers us and saves us to good works, to become children of God, to live in the kingdom of God, to live in a new dimension of life. He saved us from something, and then he saved us for something. When I look at the story of the Hebrews leaving Egypt, their journey to the promised land, I see that salvation has an exit and it has an entrance. The people of God exited Egypt so they could enter the promised land. We exit a world of darkness so that we can enter the light. We exit a life of death so that we can live in his life. We exit a life of sin and lostness so that we can live in holiness. We exit a life of striving on our own strength so that we can live in his rest. The problem with some people is that they exit from, but they fail to enter to. Sometimes God's people choose to wander in the wilderness. God delivered the Hebrews from bondage in Egypt. But his plan was not to abandon them in the wilderness. He prepared a land that flowed with milk and honey. A land of abundance. A land of provision. A land of peace. A land of rest. And Egypt, the, the Hebrews didn't have to go back to Egypt again for their deliverance. They needed to go forward to the promised land. They, needed, they didn't need to go back to do again what had already been done. They needed to move forward to what God had prepared for them. God wanted them to be in a place where, where they had not owned land before, where they had not cultivated the land, but where God would provide, where, where, where God would take care of them. In his love, he prepared this land for them. They had been oppressed and overworked as slaves. The promised land would find rest. They had been journeying through the wilderness for a long time, but in the promised land, they would find rest. See, the promised land was more than a physical place to occupy. It was a spiritual sphere to experience. There, God would give them peace. There, God would show his ability to care and provide for them. There, God would protect them from the peoples around them. There, God would make for himself a holy people so that the rest of the nations would know that he is holy, that he is the true God. That's what God had prepared for them. But the older generation of Hebrews, the generation that came out of Egypt, failed to enter the promised land. They, they saw the works of God and how he was mightier than Pharaoh. They saw his deliverance through, through the Red Sea. They saw him provide manna in the desert. They saw him give water from a rock. They, they saw the mighty works of God, but, but when they got to the edge of the promised land, they sent spies to check out the land that God had promised them. And the spies went and they said, there are giants in the land. We look like grasshoppers compared to them. A slight exaggeration. And they came back and they told the people and they were afraid. They were afraid. They did not believe that the God who delivered them from Egypt could help them conquer the giants. They did not have the faith in the God who they had been seeing work in the wilderness that he would be able to make them enter into the promised land 
And because they failed to believe, they failed to enter. How can someone who has seen the work of God over and over again fail to believe that he can do it again? How can someone who has experienced the power of salvation of God in the past fail to believe that God can still save today and that he will still save tomorrow? I'll tell you how. With hardened hearts, hearts that have become hardened. I put a post on, in my story in social media this week about meditating on this and, and someone sent me a video about where David Wilkerson, the late pastor who pastored New York and um, was influential in, in uh, ministering to gangs in the 50s and 60s, uh, switching the, the crossing the switchblade and Nicky Cruz and all those stories. Well, this was an old message uh, from David Wilkerson and I, and, and I was listening to it. It was titled, Remember Lot's Wife. And the text that uh, Pastor Wilkerson used was uh, Luke 17, 32, where Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. You know that Lot and his wife lived in Sodom. And Sodom had become so wicked that God decided to bring judgment on it, to destroy it. But God wanted to save Lot and his family from that destruction, from that judgment that would come on, on that city that, that had become so wicked that, that they even tried to sin with the angels that God sent. That's how, that's how depraved they were. God saved Lot's family from destruction, and, and he told him to go to the mountains. The, the journey from wherever God delivers us to the place that God is leading us is always a journey of faith. It's always a journey of faith. It, it, it's, it's by faith and not by sight that we go. And the instruction was that in that faith, that the way to exercise that faith, the, the faith that God had something better for them than what they left behind was that they should not look back. But Lot's wife looked back against God's instructions. Perhaps she was longing for whatever she left. I don't know what was so good about Sodom. I mean, do you know that the people of God in the desert sometimes regretted leaving Egypt? God delivered them from bondage and sometimes they were in the desert to go, man, we should have never come out, we should go back. Egypt had good onions. They said that. Read it. It's in the Bible. And they didn't even have 10, 15 onions yet. Lot's wife looked back, maybe longing for what she left behind instead of believing for what was ahead. The Bible says that she became a pillar of salt. And Pastor David Wilkerson suggests that maybe the outward Rock formation was an expression of an inward hardened heart, a heart that failed to believe. Many years later, King David, inspired by the Holy Spirit, gave his generation a warning in Psalm 95. He says, today, if only you would hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did at Meribah, as you did that day at Massa in the wilderness. Today, today is an open invitation. In God's redemptive calendar, it's still today. Today is a day of salvation. So do not ignore God's message. Do not harden your hearts. 
Instead, by faith, enter the provision that God has made in Christ, a provision of peace, a dimension of God's grace. He rescued you by grace so that you can live in his grace. Some people are convinced that God saved them by grace. They understand that there was nothing they could do to save themselves. They understand there was nothing they could do to earn forgiveness. They understand that all they could do was bring faith to the grace of God, but then they enter the Christian life and they think it has to be by works. They think they have to somehow earn their holiness, that somehow they have to follow a list of rules and actions and, and habits that somehow will make them better Christians. And they forget that that's wandering in the wilderness. God wants you to enter the promised land of grace where you can become what God wants you to become by his grace as you trust him, as you believe him, as you follow him, not by your own effort, not by your own striving, but by God's grace. Because God's rest is prepared, then we can rest in his love. It is in his love that he has prepared a life of purpose for you, a life in a new dimension. He has promised that he will finish what he started in you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God loves you? Do you really believe that God loves you? Before you start your list of things to do, before you start dealing with all the guilt for what hasn't been done, do you believe that God loves you? There's nothing that you can do to make God love you more. And there's nothing that you can do to make God love you less. He decided to love you before you could do anything. So rest in that. Rest in his love. That doesn't mean that, that you don't respond in obedience. Of course you do. But it's an obedience that is based on faith, on grace. Today, today is the day of salvation. Today is still here. But one day, it will be the day of judgment. And by then it will be too late. Today is the day that you enter his rest. Don't be left out. Don't, don't let what happened to Israel in the wilderness happen to you. Let's finish our text, verse 12. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Third thing I want to say to you today is that God's word is powerful. God's word is powerful. And, and we ought not to harden our hearts in such a way that we don't hear God's word. The hardening of the heart in this passage, he wasn't talking about the pagans. He wasn't talking about the unbelieving world. He was talking to God's people. That means that sometimes God's people harden their hearts. They, they become so entrenched in what they think they believe and what they think they know that they stop listening to God's voice. And that's a problem. It's important that we soften our hearts and we let God's word penetrate our hearts. It's like a double-edged sword. And, and, and it's alive and it's active. Some want to judge it, but God's word judges us. 
Some want to criticize it. But, but God's word examines us. God's word is powerful. God's word created the universe. God's word sustains the universe. God's word saves us. God's word sanctifies us. God's word transforms us. God's word invites us to live in his rest. Israel failed to believe God's word so they didn't enter God's rest. See, they thought they knew better. They saw the giants and they thought that they could make a better decision than what God had instructed them to do. They didn't trust that if God said, go and occupy, that God would make sure that he would take care of them. And sometimes that's what we do. We know the Bible. I've heard a lot of people say, I know the Bible says such and such, but I think. Well, that's lack of faith. That's lack of trust. You don't believe God. And when we fail to believe God's word, we fail to enter his rest. No wonder we're tired. No wonder we're discouraged. No wonder we're weary. We're, we're taking control of our lives. We think we're in charge. But we can be confident in God's word. Listen, we won't have rest if we keep doing things our own way and we ignore God's word. And it comes to honesty and integrity. It comes to the way we do marriage. It comes uh, to, to every aspect of life. If we keep doing things our own way, we won't have rest. We won't have rest if we're trying to control every situation. Some of you are control freaks. And that's lack of faith. You don't believe that God can take care of that situation. You'd think that you had to be in charge of every single detail because you don't trust God to take care of it. I wish I had an amen for that one. Some of you are trying to change other people when only God can change them. No wonder we're tired. You won't have rest if you keep redefining what God is already defining his word. We don't get to redefine marriage. We don't get to redefine gender. We don't get to redefine what God has already said is good. We don't get to call good what is bad and bad what is good. God's already called it. That doesn't mean that we don't love people. Whoever, whoever you are, God loves you. Whatever you're struggling with, God loves you. But it doesn't mean you can redefine God's word. We don't get to rest if we think that the spiritual answer for our nation is to put the right people in office. Listen, when Jesus was asked by Pontius Pilate about his kingdom, are you a king? Jesus says, my kingdom is not of this world. If Jesus thought the answer to this world was to occupy government, he would have taken Pontius Pilate's place. He would have taken Herod's throne. He would have replaced Caesar, but he didn't because his kingdom is a spiritual kingdom. And those of us that are thinking that our only hope is to get the right people elected do not believe that God can do things in the spiritual realm. We don't believe that God can change hearts, that God can change families, that God can change communities, that God can bring about revival in a spiritual way. 
We won't have rest until we believe that. We won't have rest until we trust that God and God alone can do what he promised to do. I'm afraid that some of us are listening more to the news than we are to God's word. The other day, I, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to the news uh, about the stock market. And uh, I have an app that keeps up with my retirement account. Um, and I looked at my app and my Apple watch said I was having a heart attack. Uh, it was like, pfft. and I had some questions and I sent a friend of mine some questions and then I closed the app and I, I decided not to worry about it. I decided not to worry about it. I, I hear the news about gun violence and, and, and the banter back and forth and politics. I hear the news about sexual abuse in some churches, which is sad and, and heartbreaking that spiritual leaders would do that. I hear the news about monkeypox and a research of COVID. I hear the news about gas prices and all of it, all of it can be extremely discouraging. All of it could cause us to fear. I was showing my wife this morning my, the app that shows how I sleep at night. And I was like, look, look how I sleep at night. I was bragging. You know why I can sleep at night? You know why I can rest? It's because I believe God loves me. And I trust his word. That doesn't mean I don't care about what's going on in the world. That doesn't mean that there's not something to do about that. But I believe that God can deliver what he promised. That if God said to me, I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies, whatever circumstances are going around you, whatever economy or violence or politics or, or, or moral decay is going on, I will prepare a table in the presence of your enemies and your cup will run over. I believe that. I believe that that mercy and love will follow me all the days of my life. I believe that I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. I believe that if God said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, that he meant it and he will keep his word. I believe that God loves me. I believe that God keeps his promises. I believe that sometimes it doesn't look like it, but God is working for me and not against me. Israel did not enter the promised land because they didn't believe. God, through Jesus, offers us a better rest. Will you enter that rest? Because God's word is powerful. We can rest in his word today. That means that you can rest in his promises. And that means that you can stand in confidence when you listen to his voice. When, you, when your heart is not hardened, but is listening to his voice, then you can rest in that. You can take that to the bank. Will you enter his rest today? Maybe you need to trust Jesus in his work for your salvation. Maybe you've never done that for the first time today. Whether you're watching online, you need to say, okay, I'm gonna stop trying to work for my salvation and I'm gonna trust what Jesus did is enough. I'm gonna put my faith in him. Maybe today your commitment is to rest in God's love, in his work, in his rest for a victorious life. Maybe you're trying to, 
do the Christian life on your own and you keep beating yourself up and, and you keep failing and, and you keep living on a guilt trip instead of waking up every morning and saying, his mercies are new every morning. And today you're making a commitment. I'm going to rest in Jesus. I'm going to soften my heart and listen to God's voice. Would you stand with me? Let's bow our heads together as you think about your response. Father, I pray today as we hear your word that we will not harden our hearts. I pray that today each of us that are here will soften our hearts to hear you speak to us. We've built so many shelves around our heart because we've been hurt or because we've been deceived or because we've been lied to. And unfortunately, sometimes we've hardened our heart toward you, the only one who is true and who loves us. So we open our hearts today. Speak to us. Teach us what it means to enter your rest right now, to trust you. Allow your Holy Spirit to convict us that we might trust and obey. 